This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all blow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're doomed. On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. In the year 2035, a corporate power will rule our nation with terror. Using a secret army of synthetic humans, they will destroy all who oppose them. But a small outpost of rebels will fight their killing machine by reviving a weapon from their past. They will wage the final battle for our future. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Howling at the Full Moon. I am your host Cameron Scott and once again joining me is full moon enthusiast and filmmaker Dustin Hubbard. How you doing tonight Dustin? Hey, I am great. Happy to be back. Bringing out a classic, classic 90s or 1990 uh, full moon entertainment on this one, Crash and Burn, directed by the one and the only charles band and uh we've done what two charles band directed features back to back doing uh blood dolls last week i will give the quick imdb's storyline synopsis which goes as follows unicom a powerful organization overseeing most of the world after its economic collapse they have banned computers and robots in an attempt to ensure life liberty and the pursuit of economic stability when a unicom synth robot infiltrates a southeast or southwest rather tv station and kills the manager spoilers a revolutionary against 
the Gestapo light corporation, a lowly Unicom delivery man must help the rest of the situ the station survive through the incoming thermal storm. Now, that's a pr pretty uh, complete IMDb synopsis. Usually they're pretty vague, but that one gives away <laughs> pretty much uh, just about everything right right there in the, the synopsis. But we're all about spoilers here. If the movie's 30-plus years old, you just I always say, you know, pause, pause the podcast, watch the movie, then come back. But uh, I love the tagline for this film. It promises a lot. The weapons of the future are alive. And it kind of, uh, I guess at one point, it was kind of uh, pushed as a sequel to, or a spiritual sequel to Robot Jocks. But other than having kind of a leftover robot in the DV-8 robot that pops up throughout the film, uh, there's really no connection. I, I, I find a lot of these yeah. uh, c connections are just kind of, are kind of BS, actually. <laughs> Yeah, they're more thematic than anything. <laughs> it's just that it's like one of the, I think, the three movies that Charlie produced that were about like about or had the concept of like the mega robot and them. So. Right. And, you know, th this movie really is a little grittier than I remembered it. And, uh, you know, as we were discussing before we started recording, neither one of us had seen it. <laughs> last 10 or 15 years and i found it to be a little bit grittier than most uh, full moon movies i mean it takes place in 2030 and was being filmed in 1990 so you know the movie was at that point set 40 years in the future which is only 10 years in the future from now it mostly takes place at you know the at the tv station the local kind of cable network and i find it ironic that the only two shows that they have are the news well they got news <laughs> and a, a, a talk show <laughs> which my god uh jack mcgee as winston wicket on the winston wicket show is the epitome of every sleazoid uh kind of jerry springer type murray I was gonna, yeah you know you know what hit me when i saw him too it reminded me and i had a flashback because jerry's the first thing i think a lot of people are gonna think of but for that period he is classic morton downey jr that was another thing that came to mind and most a people total obnoxious prick <laughs> well like I'm, I'm an obnoxious prick that revels in it like he knows yeah. he's an obnoxious asshole and he just absolutely doesn't give a damn nope, but not at all J mcgee uh jack has played characters like that pretty much his entire life and i think he's got it down pat so he's great the other show they have is a teaching show, which is basically it's I found it to be very ironic that, you know, in today's kind of quarantine political climate that we're in, a lot of kids, you know, were doing virtual teaching. They were getting virtual school and virtual graduations. And it's the first thing that came to mind when Leva LaRue is Patrice or Paris, yeah. sorry, uh, came along. I was just like, wow, how poignant and significant that was. <laughs> I was just that like, is actually, oh. that is a good point. <laughs> well, you know, and it's like that as she's just talking virtually, you know, and that kind of uh, technology didn't exist back in 1990, folks. A lot of people are probably just like, well, they didn't do that. No, no, that kind of technology absolutely did not exist. But no, not at it, all. Yeah, you know, it existed on the page. So science fiction once again becomes science fact. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. The opening of the film 
opens with our hero, Paul Gannis, uh, playing Tyson Keen, a delivery boy for Unicom. And he's delivering uh, a bunch of liters of Freon, I think it was, to uh, Ralph Waite, <clears throat> who plays Nathan Hooks, who is the guy in charge of the TV station. And he's low on this material, so that's what he's going for. But he stops at a little roadside gas station, and who do we get? We get a little bit of Full Moon Royalty, Christopher Logan playing Scratch, and his father uh, being played by John Davis Chandler, who play, uh, is Bud. Now, I mostly know John Davis Chandler as a character actor. He was in a ton of stuff. Mostly, I, I remember him from The Outlaw Josie Wales, but more specifically, Phantasm Three was. I'm a huge Phantasm yep. fan, so I was excited to see him. Yeah, that's always what I remember him from. Is as one of the one of the criminals in Phantasm Three. Oh yeah, and that was a great little part, you know, because it, you know, not to get off on a tangent, but I love all things Phantasm, and Phantasm Three was the more comical version of the Phantasm franchise, and a yeah. lot of other characters. <laughs> But not to get on a tangent about that because it was just uh, kind of neat. I had forgotten that Christopher Logan was in this since we had just reviewed uh, Blood Dolls last week. And uh, his character, Scratch, I usually don't get off on what's my favorite uh, one-liner this early in the show. I usually save that for the end. But there wasn't a whole lot of gr- uh, wonderful one-liners in this film but look, that stuck out for me, except for at the beginning when uh, – Scratch Christopher Logan is kind of chasing after Tyler Keene and uh, he just hands him a, a comic book all folded up and goes, are you Batman? <laughs> it, it's it's just so perfectly delivered. You really would believe that uh, Christopher Logan had some uh, mental issues. <laughs> he, he plays that role a little well. Uh, but, you know, he's it's just, you know, and he's talking to Tyler uh, to Tyson Keene. And Tyson's trying to tell him, you know, you need to go back inside and get out of the UV rays, you know. And he's like, well, why? He's like, well, because it's, it's, it's cooking you. It's, it's baking your brain. And he's just like, why? <laughs> Doesn't even push it any further. He's just like, yep, this is a lost cause. <laughs> this man here is a lost cause. Tyson continues on to uh, the TV station where his Unicom... Uh, He's a Unicom subordinate, so he's just a delivery guy delivering this uh, Freon there. Well, I guess you could say Megan Ward. In her film debut, let's make this a point that she became kind of a full moon staple for a few years. This was not just her first full moon film. This was her first film, period. And she plays Aaron, uh, who's kind of a computer tech. Now, I, I, I can't remember now, like, if if she was Lathan's uh, niece or was it his granddaughter? I can't remember. I think she was his granddaughter. <laughs> I think I should know that. I should know that. I just watched it again today. Yeah. But anyways, she's kind of obviously smitten with Tyson. She kind of shows him around. She shows him the great big DV8 robot, which is this, in reality, it was only about four, four and a half foot tall, but it was an impressive uh, puppet that they had made that looked like it was, you know, 80 to 100 feet tall. That was just a decommissioned robot. Could you come to find out through a little bit of exposition later on that Unicom kind of came in as like a 
almost like an umbrella corporation that just deemed all robots and robotics and computers were bad. And they decided to ban them all and ban uh, what they call synthoids, which was basically androids and robots. And uh, <laughs> I, I just think it was this basically Unicom was just a, an early, less organized umbrella corporation. Mm-hmm. And and then you get Ralph Waite, who is kind of a, a rebel of sorts that kind of rebels against Unicom at every step. Which I was surprised uh, to see him in this. I had forgotten that Ralph Waite was uh, Lathan Hooks because yep. I grew up watching him on The Waltons. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these earlier Fulman movies, they did actually get some uh, higher end, kind of like classier kind of stars that, you know, had some major celebrity like him. Like him or Louise Fletcher or those kinds of people. James Hong, <laughs> you know, yeah. some of these earlier ones. And like William Hickey. Um, well, yeah, William Hickey was the original Andre Toulon. I always yeah. remember that. Yeah. And also a note that I had to make was in the background. I can't remember whose room it was in. It was an angry Red Planet poster. So I, as a geek, I had to note, uh, make note of that. Yeah, that was in the girls' room where Aaron and... Paris sleep. <laughs> it's like right above Paris's right. bed, I believe. It just seemed like, really, that this, this seems a bit random, but I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. But Unicom, anyway, they banned the use of computers by civilians because they, as they put it, screwed up the money markets and then banned uh, robots because of basically something in the book of Revelations, and they came in as a savior and saved everything, which is also eerily politically poetic at this kind of time is just, I don't know, it, it, Crash and Burn was slightly prophetic, uh, I think. I think people need to, to kind of give it a revisit and a rewatch. There's a lot of uh, parallels to current events. But I don't know if you made that same assumption when you were watching it, but, you know, we had already talked about the, the virtual teaching and whatnot. I was just like, oh, like everything is just a, kind of the same. The world is on fire, but it's just not, you know, because of the ozone layer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's yeah. Everything was very mirroring a lot of stuff now. <laughs> Basically, we find out the fly in the ointment as the ointment, as they say is that there is a synthoid around. There's a synthoid that has infiltrated the the TV station. And let's just, you know, spoilers. We, you know, going into this movie, if you're a genre fan, if you know anything about the cast, Bill Mosley plays a character called Quinn, who is the resident mechanic of the group. You just, you you know right off the bat, you just see him, it's just like, as soon as you see Mosley, and it's like, oh, there's our heavy. It's 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 not really hidden at all. There's a whole moment where uh, Lathan Hooks gets killed by an unseen assailant. He, and this is a good, what, 35, 40 minutes into the movie, I think, when Lathan, when we have our first actual death is about that about that point in the film. It's He's killed by an unseen assailant that nobody really knows who did it, but it's somebody within the building. So would you agree with me that the end? Saying that their test to figure out who who is human and who is the synthoid kind of reeked 
of uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh yeah, totally. And I was I was remembering what I knew going into it again. I was kind of curious to you know revisit how that sequence was going to play out again to as far as them passing the test too. It was the same all the way down to them, you know, using a little scalpel and cutting their thumbs and just like it, it played out very thing like. And they're trying to determine who is is who because synthoids don't bleed or maybe they do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of funny. 2030 kind of looked like a in Crash and Burn kind of looked like a Road Warrior film, just minus all the, you know, geeks and Mohawks. But, yeah, it's true. <laughs> but the death of Lathan Hooks, he's murdered. Uh, it messes things up because he breaks some things uh, in a nasty fall that powers d- down everything during a thermal. And a thermal is, you know, a storm that's coming that's going to raise the temperatures up. And without any power, they have no air conditioning, no climate control. They're going to bake like a bunch of baked potatoes. And if they don't, you know, get the power turned back on. Which I thought was something that was a, a trope that was, was a good sci-fi trope, but they don't focus on it very long. No, because they get it fixed rather quickly. Yeah, it's it's one of those It's like, ooh, this is going to be an issue. People are going to start getting sick. People are going to start dying. But no, they kind of fix it real quick. Aaron exposes the synth uprising of sorts and the fact that they have sent someone to kill them off. And it kind of it's a way to describe it the the title alone describes it the the crash and burn is the crash and burn virus that all synthoids have that's basically like the what they call it the gemini cricket or gemini cricket the gemini factor gemini factor that's it it's it's mostly that refers to it as gemini cricket that's right and it's basically kind of like a robocop thing you know a directive that prevents them uh, a synthoid from being able to harm a human being. So, of course, when that gets deactivated, you know, he he is uh, he sets forth and kills Lathan. But then <laughs> the girl kind of, you know, uh, says something that makes the, the robot, the synthoid, click. She says, you know, you know, it probably sees the rest of us as a threat. And it will probably, you know, will probably systematically take each one of us out to protect the secret, which the synthoid had never even thought of before until she said it. So they kind of sealed their own fate. I, I thought it was like if they just maybe kept the mouth shut, the rest of them might have all lived. <laughs> yeah, it's very possible, actually. Her her being Nancy Drew about the scenario probably is what, in actuality, ended up screwing them all. Winston Wicket. And his two guests from the show try to leave. They get caught in the thermal. They come back. So everybody is is trapped there. Uh, Sandra and Christy, played by Elizabeth McEllen and Catherine Armstrong, are two uh, human prostitutes, or prosties as they call them during the show, which I thought was uh, an interesting <laughs> choice of slang. Weird I, I nickname for them, yeah. <laughs> When you got like, and also I thought of the the whole I, the idea that there's just something I read in the headlines uh, just here recently about uh, these 
real life sex dolls. And that's something that they talk about, like on the Winston Wicket show, the difference between fake prosties and real prosties and how the real ones aren't any good, but the, 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 the fake ones could do different tricks and stuff. It was very, you know, Hey, I'm not trying to shame anybody in their kinks, but I thought it was also very uh, telling, you know, 20, 2030 in this film is just a lot more like 2020 in reality. Just a little bit less desert like. It's true. <laughs> yeah, it's very, yeah, it's every, there's so much in this movie that's very similar to and relevant to the world we live in today. It's kind of spooky. <laughs> minus the giant robots. Yeah, minus the giant robots and, and, and synthoids, as they call them. Uh, but basically, what we get from here on out, even though it's, it's touted as a sci fi kind of action epic especially with the DV-8 robot so prominently displayed on the cover, which is a bit misleading for somebody that might, you know, go to see a speculative kaiju kind of thing, you know, with big monsters and big yeah. robots and whatnot. But th that would probably be my one slight negative to the film. I still love the movie, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more DV-8, you know, action. Yeah, because he really doesn't do much of anything. <laughs> In the movie. Well, even when they decide to use him, when they finally decide to use him in the last, what, 10 minutes of the film, he doesn't yeah. really do a whole lot. He he lifts a big tower. Well, we'll, 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 we'll get to that. We'll get we'll get to that. I mean, uh, Quinn, a.k.a. Bill Mosley, is exposed as the uh, as the synthoid when he tries to attack Aaron. And, you know, her and Tyson are kind of teaming up, you know, the, and figured out that the way they were able to, that he was able to pass that test is that he was using the Freon as a blood supply and the Freon looked just like blood, which in the way they figure out their, or uh, Paul's character Tyson figures out is that when they were doing the, the hand to hand test and they were uh, cutting themselves to see who was the synth when they went from uh Quinn to Winston Wicket, they didn't clean the knife off and that the the Freon somehow infected his hand because th th that was an effect that I thought was very well done, made me kind of squeamish, and I don't get squeamish at much, but like poor Winston's hand starts swelling up and starts looking like a, I don't know what the hell it looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gnarly looking, that's for sure. <laughs> it, he's not like nearly as concerned. Like he's concerned. He's trying to dab at it with some curacomb and some disinfectant. But he should be a lot more concerned because like his fingers swelling up like a like like a baby's arm is just like oh, it's a uh, very very gruesome. Anyway, we got uh, Mosley's Quinn just wreaking havoc, and basically it turns into a straight up slasher film from here for about the next twenty minutes. We even are treated to an obligatory shower scene where Mosley uh, does in, I think it was the Sandra character or the Christie character. I, I get the two of them mixed up. Yeah, I uh, think it was Christie. Yeah, it was Christie that he kills in the shower. Yes, because then it was Sandra that made it to uh, the, well, I wouldn't say makes it to the end, but almost makes it to the end. She sacrifices uh can't talk right tonight sacrifices herself uh to save aaron and she takes a shotgun and now i have to say they give that shotgun a lot of time you could tell they love that prop in this movie that shotgun got used left and right and left and right 
it did. It was like the only weapon <laughs> anyone seemed to want to use. So I'm just figuring it was the only one they had on set that worked. That's quite possible also. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like they might have had a couple more weapons, but there's like, listen, this is the only one that's really going to work right now, so we were just going to go with it. Yep. But it, towards the end, we get a little bit of uh, DV8 action. They're fighting uh, Quinn outside after they shotgun him a couple times. Cause I will say one thing. Quinn can take a lot of damage. He, he He's not so much about self-preservation, and he's not really about, you know, protecting himself, but he just stands there and just takes all sorts of damage. Yeah, he he takes a lot of bodily damage before the movie's over with. It's kind of kind of funny because he just keeps getting banged up. Kind of reminded me of uh, weird comparison, but like to me as like horror icons go, Chucky seems to be the one who in each one of his movies always like incurs he's like so tiny, but he always incurs so much bodily harm by the time he's finally finished at the end of a movie. He kind of reminded me of Chucky. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was just like a grown-up Chucky. I mean, he just kept coming and kept coming. Uh, and, you know, let's face it, Mosley is the big seller of this film. You know, he, this is only a, a few years after uh, Chainsaw Massacre 2, many, many years before he had a resurgence in popularity playing, uh, you know, Otis in the Firefly movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but you could see the the bits and bobs, the pieces of what were to become Otis and, and the little bits and bobs and pieces that were chop top when, cause when Bill mostly gets excited, that's what he goes to. He goes to that, that euphoric, this craziness. Yeah. Like when he rips it, out the Jiminy chip. <laughs> what's that? Like when he rips out the Jiminy chip. Oh yeah. When he pulls it out of his head and just plays with it, I was expecting him to start licking his fingertips or something like it was a lot. A lot of scenery chewing in that scene. (laughs) (laughs) More than just scenery chewing. It was head chewing and everything. But, you know, different movie, same thing. (laughs) But now they they get to the kind of the big finale. The the big action-packed finale where uh, one really well-placed lightning bolt takes out a tower that falls and not only halfway crushes uh, uh, Quinn in half but also pins uh, Paul to the ground. So he's trapped. They can't, they can't move it. This thing weighs thousands, thousands of pounds. Of course, we know what's going to happen. They're going to fire up DVA. And this is where, like, I remember the first time watching it, getting super excited, thinking we're going to see some big, badass robot action. And it's yeah. really a kind of a bit of a letdown. <laughs> I mean... They fire DV8 up to save the day, and really, I mean, he looked he looked really impressive. DV8 did. Uh, I was reading it took six different puppeteers to uh, to run him at one time, but he basically has one job to do: to pick up the the tower that had fallen on, <laughs> on uh, Tyson. And what happens? His fucking arm just pops right off. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it was, just, it was kind of a letdown. He didn't get to really do much. I it's, felt like. Yeah, it's weird. He he literally, she fires him up. He literally stands up, walks over, picks the tower up. His arm falls off. 
And then he takes a step forward and basically takes out our villain by stepping on Quinn. And then he just falls over. <laughs> like he literally does nothing but stand up, pick a tower up and like take a few more steps and then like clunk out. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah a little, little bit uh, into like a uh, little bit anticlimactic. But Very. still, I love seeing them in action. I thought the, the puppeteering looked really good. You know, the matte painting, paintings and the kind of the forced perspective that they were you know, forced to use with the miniatures and whatnot really still held up. Uh, I mean, I watched my old uh, DVD copy and I thought it still looked good even on my big screen. So, you know, kudos for them and uh, yep. thumbs up for that. A lot of those exteriors, too, where that climax happens, you know, you can tell me if you agree with this or not. It looks like, I'm not sure if it is, but it looks like the foundry area around where they used to, where they had shot things like Dollman and Puppet Master 3, a lot of their exteriors, it looked like a lot of the same landscape. Actually, I, I had made a note that said uh, Dollman set. Mm -hmm. I believe even um, it was used for, even for an arcade as well, those locations. So, well, yeah. you know, they, they, very, they, got, they got a lot of use out of those locations. <laughs> yeah, I believe that I believe that whole area doesn't really exist anymore, too. So, you know, it's just sad to think that areas like that, you know, these great locations just don't exist, that most of them are probably parking lots. Yep. And, and, and shit like that now. But. You know, uh, that's progress, I guess, you know, but yeah, still something <laughs> I always think to myself, like, oh, I want to go and visit these locations one day. And like, you're realizing 99% of them don't exist anymore. No, not at all. Especially 30 years later. <laughs> like, oh, God. Long gone. Um, yeah, the, the, they've been gone and then turned into something else. And then that's been gone for 20 years and it's been replaced by something else. But you know, you think anyway. I mean, uh, the DV8 does its job. It kind of it kind of saves the day, albeit in a sort of lame duck sort of way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, his arm falls off. He, he still manages to stomp uh, Quinn into you know Freon paste uh, before he himself kind of crashes and burns. Uh, no mm. pun intended. But you know, uh, Priest and Tyson. Uh, make their way back into the building where Aaron had been, you know, uh, manipulating the robot, only to find a note where they say, where she says, there's two. And you realize the whole time there is a second synthoid. And this is where I was surprised. Uh, I, we, we, I know we spoke about this briefly before we started recording the show, <laughs> but. I, I was still surprised by that. I, I had been such a long time that like about five seconds before it happened, it all of a sudden dawned on me. Oh, that's right. We still have one more synthoid to go through. And I yeah. think it's a great twist. It's, it's still a great twist because I've seen it. I've obviously I've seen it a couple of times, but it'd been so many years. I had forgotten about it. It, it. it had a chance to work its magic on me again. Yeah, I, I thought that I had remembered that twist because, like, like you said before, it had been a long time since either of us had seen this movie. And it was, uh, I thought that, that I remembered that Evil Uru was the second synthoid. And I, I was correct. I, I, because uh, of what I remembered was her in the back of my mind. I remembered the demise. So, with the, 
the trusty shotgun coming into play again. So, yeah, you know, and one thing, let's let's talk about that shotgun. You know, it it, it between shot and slug do about the same amount of damage. When they shot Bill Mosley in the head, it looked like a shot that had just ricocheted off the side of the T eight hundred skull. When they and yeah. it, you know tears a big chunk out the side of his head and, and damages him a little bit, but when they go to shoot Ava Larue, it obliterates her head like a head exploding in scanners. Now, the, 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 what kind of shells <laughs> they, you know, using anyway? Yeah, she must have been like the the low grade generic like knockoff synthoid because she goes yeah. down way easier than uh, Quinn did because he puts up a. a f- a fight of fights as far as being defeated but yeah she goes down with like one gunshot and it's like boom her head pops and it's like happy ending <laughs> like, well let's face it quinn mosley gets he gets stabbed in the face with a uh screwdriver he gets shot with a shotgun in the head in the shoulder in the chest i think he he uses uh the shower to electrocute somebody while the current goes through him so he essentially electrocutes himself he has the tower fall on him, and he even gets hit by a truck twice, I think. Yeah. And yeah. and they took all that, but, you know, one shotgun shot, uh, and Eva LaRue is down, you know. She, she, like <laughs> I said, she must have been the Dollar Tree model. Yeah, she's like the great value version. <laughs> 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 yeah, that that's it. Yeah, she, she was bought, bought at Target. It's not a comment on the sexes either. <laughs> no, just no, by no. Chance. <laughs> it just happens to be that the second synthoid was a woman. It, it doesn't mean anything. It just means that somebody wrote in the script that, ooh, surprise, second synthoid, shotgun blast of the head killed. And that's maybe by that point, they didn't have much paramount money left to have a, a bigger finale with her. So they needed to just tie it up fast. Yeah, you know, again, uh, that's probably closer to the truth than anything. That's probably why it was a budgetary reason. Like, listen, we've already had 18 squibs in this movie. You get one more good one and that's it. (laughs) And then we get our sort of, you know, our happy-go-lucky ending. Uh, Tyson and Aaron are on their way to go expose Unicom. And the movie virtually ends... The same way it begins with uh, a little scene with Bud and Scratch. So, you know, a little bit more John Davis Chandler and a little bit more Christopher Logan. You know, it's a good thing. Um, I I felt like the ending left off so much room for a sequel. I always wanted to see, you know, what were the continuing adventures of, you know, Tyson and Aaron? Or, you know, did they end up fighting Unicom? Did they, you know, did they succeed? Probably not. But, you know... It was always, help. <laughs> but but yeah, I do I do think it, it's weird because it did end with a perfect setup for something larger that was just never fully explored. Well, and you know, and there were so many of those in the Full Moon Library. There was, we got some movies we got ten sequels to, and other ones were just one offs. And you know, maybe that was the way they were meant to be. It doesn't diminish their value at all, but it just. I don't know. I'm a sequel kind of guy. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like sequels, but I do. I love to see the continuing adventures. I want to see prequels, sequels. You know. Yeah, same. The little bonus I uh, had uh, written down was that J.S. Gar- Cardone 
had wrote mm-hmm. this and had also wrote uh, Puppet Master and Shadow Zone and also edited by Ted Nicolau. Yes. Yeah, he was like a, yeah, I believe he did like some shadow writing on the original Puppet Master um, to maybe tweak some things. Because I think he's uncredited, I believe, on the Puppet Master one. Because uh, Ken Hall wrote that one. But yeah, he did. He he also wrote, he wrote Shadow Zone as well, wasn't didn't he? Yeah, he, he actually directed Shadow Zone. Oh, he directed Shadow Zone. I thought that was a Charles Band flick for some reason. No, he did actually direct Shadow Zone. It was the one, the one movie he did direct for them. So, and at this yeah. point, uh, Tim Nicolau was working on editing for Full Moon, producing for Full Moon, and directing for Full Moon with Subspecies and, and others. But uh, I had forgotten that he had uh, edited this one and just caught it when i was watching you know combing yep. through the credits but yep a lot of full moon yep. alumni returned yeah, that's it by him, produced by dakotu well let's go ahead and get right into our final uh final call and review on it and as as usual guests go first so go right ahead dustin i i think it's a fun movie it's it's uh feels a bit more timely than I expected it to. Honestly, there's so many things that are happening in it with, you know, big corporations and, you know, big brother and powers that be and all that stuff. Um, then I remembered. So, and it's got a really solid cast. It's got, you know, classics like Bill Mosley. It's got Megan Ward, who was basically like one of the queens of full moon in the nineties, uh, you know, old school class, like Ralph, wait uh just a fun movie and elizabeth mcclellan who would go on to be in puppet master 2 uh, as the possible uh reincarnation of elsa um funny funny trivia because i don't see it on imdb anymore back in the day it was actually listed that elizabeth mcclellan had passed many years ago back i believe still in the 90s um from a brain tumor Oh, but really? that information, yeah, but that information is not on IMDb anymore. So I'm not sure if that was misinformation or what. But uh, she doesn't yeah, really. I had never, uh, never heard any anything about that. But that, I didn't. Yeah, she doesn't really act anymore, so it's kind of hard to kind of hard to gauge. But uh, yeah, like the cast, you know, with her and like Eva Larue, who I always loved from things like Ghoulies Three and stuff like that, you know. It's a fun. It's a fun movie. It 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 in some aspects it aged kind of weird. Watching it, I was like, man, I wish they have. I wish they would have remastered it because it's it, visually it's a movie that would really benefit from a nice remaster and a, a cleaned up. Yes, it, it needs to be cleaned up. Yeah, there's so much dark, you know. Uh, photography in it that would really benefit from being upgraded um, to a higher format. But um, overall, it's a really fun movie. It doesn't obviously doesn't offer as much robot uh, action as something like you know its quote unquote uh, predecessor, Robot Jocks, <laughs> or even its quote unquote you know like uh, successor, uh, Robot Wars. But 
you know, what we do get is pretty fun and the effects are cool. The Dave Allen stop motion is always like a plus. There's no such thing as like bad Dave Allen stop motion animation. So all in all, it's actually a really fun movie. Uh, not the kind of movie in retrospect. Like if you were new to Full Moon and you watched it, you'd probably not catch on that it was Full Moon because it's very not Full Moon feeling in a lot of ways. A lot of those earlier yeah. ones kind of are, <laughs> I think. Uh, but that's what I, I, that's what makes it unique, I think. It makes it a little different, maybe a little more special. Uh, definitely probably up there to one of Charles Band's better directing jobs. Yes, I'd agree I love, with that. I think, it's, yeah, I think it was a really fun revisit. And uh, you're rating on a scale of 1 to 10? Um, I would give it, for me... I'd give it like a, a solid eight. Nice. And I'd have to agree with you on a few things. Uh, one of the detriments of the film is not enough DV eight action, but what we, again, what we get with the Dave Allen stop motion is just top notch. Like you said, there is no such thing as bad Dave Allen uh, stop motion. Uh the, the good things, I mean, again, it's got a great cast with Megan Ward, Ralph Waite, Bill Mosley, uh, Eva LaRue, Jack McGee. I love seeing him and stuff. He's such a smarmy little bastard that uh, you just, you know, you know you're going to get a, ba- a bad guy that you love to hate. Um, yep. It's, you know, it's got great character actors. It's got great leads. The effects still hold up. Uh, it's a classic role for Mosley uh, in, in that department. And I would agree that it's one of Charles Bands's you know, uh, more impressive films that he's directed. And it's impressive because it doesn't feel like a full moon movie. You're also correct on that. It just, it feels like everything that a full moon movie usually isn't other than having your usual cast of, uh, you know, usual characters. Um, it's aged pretty well for me. I think, uh, the, the points that it makes, you know, that are just kind of, semi-relevant today i wasn't expecting that those were the little things that was little bonuses i was coming in probably at a seven when i was watching it but those Uh little points that it it made that are poignant today i'm gonna give it the same rating you gave it i'm gonna give it an eight i think it's a very solid eight it's aged really well I would just like to see them do a remastering of it as well. It, it deserves an upgrade to to Blu-ray and just, you know, do it right, clean it up just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun yeah. one. I, I would recommend people go back and revisit it or um, discover it for the first time. I think people would enjoy it. You know, and it's readily available. You can... F- Find it on uh, DVD. It's streaming on Full Moon's uh, streaming service. You can get it on uh, Tubi TV. And uh, I think there's a couple other platforms, but I still have my old single DVD copy that's well-worn, but still in good shape. (laughs) I I didn't break out my Crash and Burn Laserdisc. I have have one. It's one of the few lasers I have. a, a full moon movie, but I didn't break that one out. I was just, I'll always, I'll always be jealous of your full moon laser discs. At one point I'll have to build a collection of my own. <laughs> <laughs> I just have this, I think at crash and burn, I just have an old paramount VHS and I think I have two DVDs of it. 
uh, one in the Full Moon Classics box set, and then the standalone DVD. I found the standalone at a local uh, pawn shop. I went in there one day. I used to go in every couple of weeks and just look through their DVDs, and somebody had given up 15 or 20 Full Moon titles. Mm-hmm. So I got Crash and Burn. I got the first three Killjoys. I also got like the first four or five Puppet Masters, Shadow Zone, and a couple others, all for a dollar piece. So I couldn't, can't beat that with a stick. Not at all. Well, this has been a fun one. I think we'll call it an evening. Uh, we have been reviewing and uh, discussing Crash and Burn, the 1990 Charles Band directed Full Moon hit. I want to thank my guest, uh, Dustin Hubbard, for coming on. And uh, we'll have you back probably, well, we're probably going to record another show tomorrow. We'll let the the audience figure out what that's going to be when it airs. But we got got a a, probably one of the two biggest titles in the Full Moon lineup, or at least the the more legendary titles. (laughs) Definitely. Once again, I've been your host, Cameron Scott. This has been my co-host, Dustin Hubbard, and you have been listening to Howling at the Full Moon. Thanks, folks. Thank you. I gotta thank you, kid. You said a synth would try to destroy anything it saw as a threat. I wasn't programmed for that. They just told me to get the old man. But as soon as you said it, I saw the sense in the idea. You see, there's a teeny tiny little chip in my big gargantuan brain. The company calls it the Jiminy Factor because it's like a conscience. It's kind of cute, huh? But I would never in a million, billion, trillion years terminate a human. But thanks to a miracle of modern technology, Poor little Jiminy Cricket has crashed and burned. So now there's only one mission left to protect the company's synthoid program from any outside interference. And you two with your goddamn questions and unpatriotic opinions, they have definitely interfered. So, we're going to have some fun. How about a little hide and seek? <laughs>